Okay, I think that deserves another round of applause. Yeah. I saw Divine putting that together a few weeks ago, and I, I know how much hard work that they put into that, and I just thought that was incredible. And uh, so we've we've heard uh, this great story from quite a few uh, angles. We've explored it in quite a few different different ways tonight, and um, so. It's my privilege tonight just to sort of bring all of that together and just share with you something about uh, this story of the prodigal son. Uh, So, you know, first of all tonight, I am here to talk to you um, about somebody very, very important. Uh, Someone who carried great wisdom. uh, Somebody who impacted the lives of many, many people. And somebody who brought peace where there was discord. Someone who brought clarity where there was confusion. His name begins with a J. Can anyone guess who it is? It was, of course, Jerry Springer. (laughs) Who can remember Jerry Springer here? A few people, yeah. And um, can we all remember the famous chant? Can we remember the famous chant? If someone would like to start us off with that, please. Yeah, go on. Come on, we can all join in. It's very simple. The words are Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Okay, off we go. Three, two, one. Jerry. Come on, we can do it a bit more enthusiastically than that. Come on, off we go. Three, two, one. Okay, there's an action that goes with this. It's accompanied by a waving arm, a little bit like that. So if we can uh, put the two together, and if some of you sort of want to stand up uh, out of your seats as well. So let's try again. Three, two, one, go. Okay, we're getting the idea a lot more. Now, Jerry Springer, for those of you who are not aware... Uh, was someone who had a, a daytime um, chat show. Um, he would uh, bring on, he would preside over these various problems, uh, people who were going through some troubled situations. It was all really, you know, serious stuff like, you know, I'm in love with my best friend's hamster, uh, things like that. And so uh, Jerry would bring on the family that was in crisis and uh, they'd talk about it a little bit. And then the audience would chip in and they'd all give their opinions, think, you know, you should just tell the hamster how you really feel. And, the other one would say, what about the best friend? And he would go on a bit like that. Then they'd bring out the best friend and reveal this to them. Then they'd bring out the hamster. And then a fight would ensue. And then they'd bring out the heavy mob at the front and they'd have to break up the fight. And then the audience would break into a shout of... Right, we've got the idea of that now, haven't we? Okay, now that just goes to illustrate, crazy though that program was, just goes to illustrate that there's something about broken relationships that resonate with people. Would you agree with that? There's something about, um, you know, the ups and downs, the highs and lows of relationships that that affect people, that move people, that interest people in a way. And that's why the plot lines of so many TV uh, series revolve around that. It's why our headlines are full of stories of uh, relationships that have broken down, um, situations in crisis. And I guess that can come from a couple of angles. Sometimes it can be a little bit intrusive. It can be a bit malicious. Sometimes I think it just comes out of... um, the public connecting and having a sympathy for people that they see on their screens every day, every week, and, you know, somehow wanting to, um, to connect with those people. What, whatever it is, somehow as, as humanity, we are uh, affected, we are uh, moved, and we are fascinated by relationships. And I'm sure you've noticed that at times we can live in an unforgiving world. We ever noticed that? And sometimes we can live... Um, You know, sometimes if we just look at the headlines, we can see words like revenge, retribution, payback. You know, they're all words that speak of of unforgiveness. 
And we live in a world that likes to pass around blame. Again, if you look at the, at the headlines, you might see words like blame and fault, um, mistake. If you read The Sun, you might see words like blunder or gaff. Um, <laughs> um, just different ways of putting it. But the point is that we live in a world that likes to, at times, point the finger at other people and say it was their fault, not mine. And we live in a world um, where sometimes we can be so unforgiving of people when they go wrong. And Jesus understood that people were like this. And Jesus understood that people were drawn to these tales of relationships and relationships lost and found. He understood the unforgiving nature of the world. And so he crafted, very carefully crafted this story about three people. And there were three people that were carefully placed in the parable by Jesus, who was a master storyteller, to reflect different attitudes that we can have. Now, those of you that were here at the last Sunday at 6, you're not having deja vu. Because um, I know that last Sunday at 6, we also heard uh, a message preached from this same passage of Luke 15. And Bishop Tony Porter, who was visiting us, um, you know, believe it or not, we'd actually got this planned well in advance. You know, we've had this in the pipeline for months now. And uh, so Tony Porter, quite unknowingly, has kind of established this, um, I guess, a little mini-series over these two Sunday at 6s. But again, it just goes to show that this is such a key story and one that resonates with so many people. And it's one that inevitably will just be revisited over and over and over again. So I want to sort of delve into this parable a little bit now. And the first thing that's, that's interesting um, about it, the first thing that's interesting about this parable is it's actually um, one of three uh, stories. It's actually a trilogy of stories. And unlike um, most trilogies, it, the third story, which this one is, is actually the best one. Uh, it follows on from the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then it gets to the lost son, and this is where Jesus really hammers home his message. And so I want to delve into this parable now, and uh, Julie Andrews said in the film Sound of Music, let's start at the very good beginning. Okay, now I never really liked that film, so I'm going to start at the end. And I'm going to speak about the brother, and we remember the little bit that we just saw up on the screen a, a little while ago about the brother, and this brother complains about his wayward brother that's returned um, from this life of sin, this life of corruption, and he gets all this special treatment, even in spite of all this mess that he's caused. And so the brother is not very happy about it, and he says, what about me? I've worked for you all these years, where's my party? And that's pretty terrible, isn't it? Or is it? I'm not sure, because we can all be like that sometimes, can't we? Anyone connect with that slightly? Have we ever been a bit like that? Come on, be honest. I know I have. And you know, that's why Jesus was so careful to, in, to include this character in the story. It doesn't end at the bit where the son comes home and they have the party, but there's this bit that's just as much part of the story as anything else. And Jesus was actually telling this story, as the message translation calls it, to a group of men and women of doubtful reputation. And that's Bible language, and I think you get the gist of that, don't you? But it also says that a group of Pharisees had started to watch him talk to, these, to this group of people. Now, the Pharisees were religious people who thought that they were better than many of the other people, thought that they were more holy. And they didn't think that these people of this doubtful reputation should be spending time with Jesus. They didn't think that these people were the kind of people that God would be interested in. And Jesus wanted to show them through this story how wrong they were. They were so, so wrong. And it says in the Bible that it was the Pharisees' grumblings that actually started Jesus on the, this series of three stories. 
Now, some people have said that the story of the lost son, the prodigal son, is the masterpiece of Jesus' storytelling work. It's his Joshua tree or his Sergeant Pepper or whatever you would think of as a masterpiece. It's a work that inspired so many other artists to write songs. It's a, it's a story that inspired many people to paint pictures. And it really is, I guess, the gospel message in a nutshell. It's Jesus um, hammering home this vital message about the heart of God. Okay, now I want you to think uh, for a little moment about some of the greatest films of all time. Okay, so you might be thinking, Gone with the Wind. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption. High School Musical. But when we, when we watch a film or we read a book, you know, I guess we judge whether it's good or not by whether it moves us emotionally or whether it perhaps shocks us or changes our way of thinking in some way. And Jesus was an artist in the way that he told these stories. He crafted these stories so carefully and he, they were created and designed to impact on his audience's emotions. They were meant to challenge their social ideas and their traditions and their prejudices. And this is Jesus going to great lengths to highlight the shortcomings in their own way of thinking. And he was telling this group of dubious men and women who perhaps they thought they weren't good enough for God. He was making it really clear that they were, um, that God was so interested in them and God wanted to have a relationship with them. And primarily he was talking, I think, about the sheer enormity of the heart of God the Father. And so, coming back to the brother, the father deals with this brother um, gently but firmly, I think. And he speaks to him and he says that, you know, he's had all this, he's been part of this house for all these years. And he's had the rewards as it's gone on. But the brother was lost, but now he's found. The brother, he thought was dead, but now he's alive. And so now that he's back, he's going to lavish these rewards, these gifts on him. He's going to celebrate. And to the Pharisees, uh, Jesus was saying, and I guess to us through the written word of the Bible, Jesus was saying that we have to be so careful about the way that we look at other people. And that, you know, while we can enjoy the goodness of God and the blessings of God, when somebody who's been far away from God comes back, returns to him, then that is a cause for great celebration. It's a cause for us to welcome them with open arms and show them the same amazing grace and mercy that the Father shows in this story. And so having dealt with the older brother, that opens up... Um, us to look at the other two remaining people who, I guess in some ways, went completely against the grain of an unforgiving, um, blame everyone else kind of mentality that existed then, and I guess it still exists today. And so I just want to look at the sun for a moment. And despite the title of this message and this whole evening, and the fact that the title of this story goes to the prodigal son, I'm only going to speak about him very briefly, and his, I think his actions kind of speak for them speak for themselves. You know, he left the house. He wanted to go his own way. So he walked away from everything um, that he'd got with the father. He took all his inheritance in one go. So in other words, he wasn't coming back. That was it. He was severing his ties with his family and going once and for all. That was a relationship that was broken. And so while he was away, he did it all. And we saw, you know, a representation of that from divine. He did it all. He spent everything and then he ended up alone and penniless and desperate. And he took on a job that the Jewish audience of that time would have found so horrifying. Because he went to work as the man who slopped the pigs. And 
to the Jewish people at the time, the Jewish audience at the time, that would have been considered the most unclean animal. This job that Jesus was using here was designed to shock people. If Phil Pye was telling this story today, he would have the prodigal son handing out programs at Pride Park. Because Jesus wanted to illustrate that this man could not sink any lower. <coughs> if you don't like that, speak to Phil. It's his story. <coughs> Hypothetically, of course. <coughs> um, but in the depths of despair, the son makes a decision. And it's the first good decision that he makes so far in this tale. And he decides that he's going to go back to his father. And those are powerful words that he says when he says, I am going back to my father. It's a turnaround in the story. It's him coming to his senses. He even uses those words that he came to his senses. As though he'd woken up from something. As though his whole mindset had changed. But at that point, he wasn't intending to go back as a son. He'd realized his situation was so desperate. He was just going to go back to his father's house and be a servant. He was prepared to do anything in that house as long as he could be there. It reminds me of a verse in Psalm 84 that says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house um, than be anywhere else. You know, I'd rather just uh, be in your house. Whatever I'm doing, I want to be there. So with his speech prepared, and we hear him, you know, reciting, almost practicing this speech, he sets off on his journey back, realizing that life without the Father, and therefore, you know, our interpretation of it, life without God, is empty, lonely, and desperate. And all those dazzling things that had attracted him right at the beginning suddenly didn't seem so dazzling anymore. They'd lost their shine, and they'd become empty. And he needed the true fulfillment of a loving relationship. And there may be people here tonight, that if, you know, maybe you're currently living your life away from God. Maybe, you know, your life doesn't really involve God. Maybe you've taken some of those same choices as the prodigal son, you've decided to go your own way. And that can sometimes happen deliberately. And it can sometimes happen, I think, you know, unintentionally maybe over a long period of time. It's a decision here and a decision there and another decision here. And gradually and gradually and gradually we're moving further and further away from the plan that God has for us and the relationship that we can have with God. And this story tells us it's never too late to turn around and to start that journey back to the father. And that's what the son did did here. He realized it wasn't too late. He could turn around. Whatever mess he'd got himself into, he could go back and he could be part of that house. In whatever small way he could be there, at least he would be there with his father. It was going to be better than the situation he was in now. And so finally, I just want to talk about um, the last character, the father. Because as I said, despite the title that's commonly given to this parable, the parable of the lost son, the story I think really belongs to the father. So you might be thinking, why did he, why did he let his son go in the first place? Do we have any parents here in the room? And have you always found that your children do exactly what you want them to do? Have you ever experienced a time when you think that this way might be the best for your child, but your child thinks that this way might be best for them. Yeah, yeah come on. Yeah. I'm sure we've all experienced it, haven't we? That children don't always do exactly what we want them to do. 
And I guess the father could have forced his child to stay in the house. He could have stopped him. He could have barricaded him in. But that goes against the character of this father representing the character of our father God. Because God the Father is a God of free will. So that means that we are given choices. And that's a great privilege. That's a great thing. Because we're not controlled like robots. It's not God you know, with a remote control operating us and making us go this way and that way. We can choose. We can make choices. And there's times when God has to watch us, you know, and he sees us making great choices, doing really amazing things, going in the, in the right direction. And there's times, which I'm sure is heartbreaking for God, to watch us when we go in the wrong direction. So the father here doesn't stop him, but he lets him go off and make his own mistakes, not out of spite, but because he knew that the son needed to learn for himself. And it was, would have been a painful decision for that father to make. You know, he would have wanted to protect him, but he had to let him go. And that's God's heart for us. You know, he wants us to stay with him. That's the best place for us to be. He wants us to follow his way. But when we choose differently, he lets us go. Because we have our freedom. And then the next time we hear about this father um, is after the son has made this decision to go back. And what's the father doing at this point? Well, the story tells us reading between the lines, that he's out there looking for his son. And so why have I come to this conclusion about the father? Well, it says that as the son is walking down the road in the distance, walking back to the father's house, it says in the scripture, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So the father wasn't off doing somewhere else, you know, forgotten about this son, cut his ties, He's gone his way, let's forget about him. He was looking for him. And the Father, God the Father, is always looking. Looking out for us, wanting us to come home. And you know, sadly, we hear stories sometimes in the news of children that have gone missing. And, you know, for a while, there's a, you know, they'll be in the headlines, um, they'll be on the TV reports, you know, they'll be at the forefront of our minds there'll be conversations about them. But then, sadly, in some of these situations, years and years can go by and some of these children don't come home. But after a while, the headlines stop and people stop talking about them and the public kind of move that situation to the back of their minds. But do you think those parents ever stop looking? Do you think that their hearts ever stop aching with desire to see their loved ones again? And the heart of the Father in this story would have been exactly like that. And therefore, the heart of God is exactly like that for us. Now, it says in the story that as the son, as the Father and the Son were reunited, it says these words. It says, the Son started his speech. And there's a very key word in that. And the word is started. The Son started his speech. He didn't get to finish the speech. He only got to the first couple of lines. Because what happens then? It says that the father throws his arms around him and he starts calling to the servants to bring him a rope, to put a ring on his finger, to make him welcome, to throw this party. And I think it's really, really important that we take note of this. I think this is a crucial point in this story and therefore a crucial point in our understanding of our relationship to God and the way that God sees us. Because... Something that's really struck me about this, as the son unites with the father, 
and he starts this speech. He doesn't get to finish it. So therefore, it wasn't the speech that made things right. It wasn't the words of the son that turned the situation around. But it was the heart of the father and his willingness to forgive, his willingness to accept and open up to him again. You see, you can't talk your way into God's affections. You can't talk your way around a a tricky situation. So it wasn't the speech that turned the situation around. It was the forgiving heart of Father God. And clearly, the other thing that I noticed in this, clearly the forgiveness has already taken place even before the son came back. It wasn't the son coming back and saying these words that made God the father, or the father in this story, forgive him. Because he was already out there looking for him, looking for him to return. He was there, probably each day, looking for him to come back. And so, you know, I think Jesus put that phrase in that story for a very specific reason, to, to show us that God is out there, he's looking for us. And the forgiveness was already available. And even if the son had never come back from that pigsty, even if he'd stayed there for the rest of his life and worked there, distant from his father, then the father still would have had that forgiving heart towards him. It's just that the son never would have experienced it. Because God loves you, and God has already forgiven you of all your sin, all your wrongdoing. And you just have to come back and accept it. God's heart is already open to you. And there's nothing that you can do to stop that. There's nothing you can do or say. There's nowhere that you can go that's ever going to stop God from having that heart of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness towards you. Because he loves you and he looks for you and he searches for you. And when you come to him, he does exactly what this father does. Throws his arms around you and welcomes you. Because his love is bigger than anything. Any mess that we've ever got ourselves into any hurt that we've ever caused, and any sin that we've ever ever committed. And so for me, this story just really sums up the gospel. It's a good news story. That our sins no longer have to separate us from God. And the Bible speaks about that many, many times. Our sins don't have to keep us separated from the Father. Is that because our sins don't matter? I don't think it is that. I think it's far from that. They matter so much that God had to send his only son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross so that they could be taken away. But because he's done that, he's taken them away. Now all we need to do is, like that son, to come to our senses, to walk back home, to come to the Father and say, I have sinned against you and I'm not worthy. And he won't even let you finish that speech before he throws his arms around you and he welcomes you home. The amazing thing is that the Father not only welcomes the son back home, not only forgives him of the things that he's done wrong, but he gives him literally everything. He gives him this hero's welcome. He doesn't deserve it, but the father loves his son and lavishes on him only the finest, the finest robes, the finest foods, and the finest jewelry, and he throws the party of all parties. Now, you may have walked down the road a long, long time ago. You may have separated yourself from God. But God is always looking and waiting for us to return. And not so that he can meet us with anger. Sometimes we have this image of God just wanting to, you know, up in the distance, wanting to pile on all this blame upon us, just show us all the things that we've done wrong. But God wants to meet you like the father in this story, with love and incredible grace.
And so I'm going to pray, and I just want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And there are people here tonight that need to make a response to this, to this story and to this message. And there may be people here tonight who've never made a commitment to God. But you know, now's the time for you to do that. You've heard it tonight that he will welcome you and free you from your past and forgive you. And it will be the start of a new way of life. Not one where you'll be perfect and get everything right. It's not one where everything will always go perfectly for you. But you'll have the love and the help and the grace of God to, lead you, to, to lean on. So I just want to invite you tonight, if you're somebody here that is connected with that story and you feel that you want to, for the first time, make a response to God, to say, I want to give my life to you. It may not be that you understand everything about it, but you just want 